Good morning, everyone. We are going to commence a new series of sermon over the next three months until end of November, and we're going to study the disciples of Jesus Christ. There are 12 disciples, and so each week we will cover one. And today I'm going to look at Peter. Uh, it has the most materials. That posed a bit of a challenge as well, because where do you zoom in? Uh, there are other disciples that we know so little about that has hardly any materials to draw from. But it will be a challenge for us, but uh, it's a necessary thing for us to uh, work through this series together all the way to November, and then we'll commence our Christmas series. Then that will be the end of 2023. There's an interesting story about a church uh, they don't have a pastor, so they, they set up a, a pastoral search committee and they went about doing their due diligence to interview and get a new pastor of the church. And after a couple of months, they, during the members' meeting, they gave this report. They said, we do not have a happy report to give. We have not been able to find a suitable candidate for this church. Though we have one promising prospect still, we do appreciate all the suggestions from the church members and we have followed up each one with interviews or calling at least three references. The following is our confidential report on the present candidates. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the ATO. James, the son of Alphys, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings and they both registered a high score on the maniac depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well. He has a keen business mind and he has very good connections. He is highly motivated ambitious and responsible and know how to handle money. We recommend Judas Iscariot and we are inviting him to preach this Sunday. Possibilities here. Sincerely, Pastoral Search Committee. Sometimes we are so quick to judge, isn't it? Uh, well, we're going to work through uh, all these disciples of Jesus Christ. They are also 12 apostles. Of course, you can distinguish between apostles and disciples. Apostles are the sent out ones. Uh, but I titled 12 disciples just not to confuse with the Great Ocean Road, number one touristic place here in Victoria. So uh, 12 disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew or Nathaniel, Matthew, Thomas, Simon, the Zealot, Judas, son of James, known as Thaddeus, and James, the son of Alphas, and Judas is Iscariot. It can easily divide it into 
three groups of four. Uh, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James and John, their first group, they were all likelihood the first disciples that Jesus called to himself. And therefore they had been with him the longest and occupied the most trusted position in his inner circle. And out of the four of the inner circle, Peter, Andrew and James are the real inner one. Uh, Andrew is like the, the fourth wheel in some sense. You're going to look at it. But every time the inner circle are mentioned, it's always Peter, James and John. They are often seen together, this first group of uh, disciples, in the presence of Christ at key times. And uh, of all the four, uh, Peter, of course, is become the dominant leader of that group. And they are often, the three of them mentioned in Mount Transfiguration and as well as the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's the first group they have the most materials to work with. And then uh, the second group uh, did not have much high profile, which is Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. What we still have enough materials to work through. Um, they are still significant figures in the Gospel accounts. And then the last group are the one that is the lesser known one, uh, Simon, Thaddeus, James and Judas. Um, probably the only one we have a little bit more is Judas. And Judas is the only disciple out of the twelve that came from the province of Judea. The rest are from Samaria. Um, and this group of twelve, they were an amazingly varied group. Their personalities, their interests uh, swept the spectrum. Um, they, most of them are fishermen here. Uh, this sets the first group, two sets of brothers there, Peter and Andrew, their brothers, and James and John, also brothers. There's uh, lots of saying, maybe there's a third group, brothers, James the Lesser and Thaddeus, and possibly Matthew and James. Matthew and James, uh, the lesser as well. Not sure because they are also, uh, James is not a son of Alphas and Matthew also has that El son of Alphas uh, as well. But we are certain that this first group of disciples, they are two brothers for sure. And they are fishermen. Their father owns the same uh, business, so they've been, they've been known each other for a long time, the four of them. And uh, their personality differ from the whole group of 12. Peter was very eager, very aggressive, bold, outspoken, and with a habit of revving his mouth while his brain was in neutral gear. John, on the other hand, spoke very little. Uh, and Bartholomew and Nathaniel was a true believer, openly confessing their faith in Christ and quick to have faith. And Thomas, of course, we know he is known as the Doubting Thomas, but you're going to see that he is he's a good doubter in some sense. He's a good guy. Uh, we'll come to that. He was uh, very honest with his feeling, outspoken, skeptic, and almost wanted proof for everything. And this group of 12, their political leaning was also different. Matthew was a tax collector, 
was considered one of the most despicable people in Israel before Jesus called him because he works for the Roman Empire, collecting tax for them on the Jewish people, their subject. Uh, Simon Zealot, uh, not Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot is known as a, what they call Sekari, literally the dagger man because they kept one small curved blade they carry. He belongs to the zealot. You know, out of, under Judaism, you have Pharisees, Sadducees, you have the, the zealots as well. Zealots are people who are very politically, uh, want to liberate Israel from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so Simon was one of them over here, Simon the zealot. Um, so, so if you consider Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot to be together, it's quite astounding, isn't it? It's a testimony to the life-changing power of the grace of Christ. So we will plow through that over the next couple of uh, weeks. But today, my focus is on Peter. We have named it the impetuous one. The word impetuous means you act or you done quickly things without thought or care, which quite nicely describes what Peter is. But I also put a subtitle there, is that he, we also know, he's from shifting sand to solid rock. He became Peter the Rock. My mechanic uh, his name is Peter. I always call him Peter the Rock. He's a Catholic. Uh, we know Peter the Rock because Peter means the rock. After all, uh, so today what I'm going to do is because we have so much materials about Peter and the text that we just read to you is only one portion of it where about his calling. But so... This is what I'm going to do. I want to share with you four lessons about Peter, about his character, how he has grown over the years uh, to become a full-blown great man of God, from a fisherman all the way to a strong disciples of Jesus Christ and the number one man in that sense. Uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at some of the gospel texts about Peter, what lesson he actually learned, what Jesus has taught him. And I'm going to project it to 1 Peter. Because Peter wrote 1 and 2 Peters. And as well as the Gospel of Mark was actually his testimony, written by John Mark, but actually it's all uh, from him. Uh, because Peter was disciple of John Mark. And John Mark took on Peter as his mentor simply because they both share similar things. Peter denied Jesus Christ and John Mark abandoned Paul uh, in his missionary journey. And so he found refuge in Peter, a good guy to mentor him because they both was in the same boat. And so Peter narrated the account to uh, him and Mark wrote it down. The first gospel, not Matthew, but Mark. And so what I'm going to do is to, to look at what Jesus taught Peter and what advice Peter gave to the church later on. After all, we give advice based on a lot of times our experience in life, what we went through, what we learned, that you can pass it on. And in that sense, you see how Peter has learned. 
So four things that I want to look at. But before that, I just want to give you a very brief background of Peter. Of course, his original name is Simon Bar-Jonas, which means Simon's son of Jonah. They don't have a surname. Their surname is a son of. Uh, his younger brother is Andrew, and they are fishermen by trade. He was from the province of Galilee uh, in the town called Bethsaida. He was a fisherman by trade and his with his family business. Can you imagine when, when Jesus called uh, Peter, Andrew, James and John, suddenly the business lost four of their key people. Uh, he was married, by the way, in case you do not know. There was no mention of any children in Scripture uh, because Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, you can't have a mother-in-law without getting married, right? So... Uh, and, and he was likely a leader and spokesman of the group. You know, no other disciple so boldly professed Christ as Lord, and yet no other disciple denied Christ so convincingly and so publicly. Peter's name is mentioned more times in the Gospels than any other person beside Jesus himself. Peter was curious. He asked more questions in the Gospels than all the other disciples combined. He was impulsive. He was often outspoken. He was bold. And even though he was considered uneducated and ordinary by the religious officials in Acts chapter 4, four but his boldness and empowerment of the Holy Spirit dumbfounded them later on in life. Simon, son of Jonah, also known as Peter, his name, this nickname Peter was given by Jesus. Uh, Peter is in Greek, and sometimes you hear the word Cephas also mentioned, and that is in Aramite, which both also mean rock or stone. Sometimes Jesus refer to him as Simon, Sometimes Jesus referred to him as Peter. Uh, I don't know whether you can draw any distinction when Jesus addressed him as Simon, when Jesus addressed him as Peter. Uh, but usually when Peter was doing dumb things, Jesus addressed him as Simon. And so the nickname that Jesus gave to Peter is very significant. Uh, he, Jesus had a very specific reason for choosing it. Because by nature, Simon was brass and uh, vacillating. He always changed his mind. Undependable. He tended to make great promises he couldn't follow through. He was one of those people who appears to lunge on something wholeheartedly and then bails up before finishing. He was often the first one in, but the first one out as well. And Jesus changed his name because he wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder to him about who he should be. And so let me just uh, uh, give you the four things, some of the character qualities uh, of this spiritual leader that he learned from Christ and then he would pass it on to the churches that he wrote to later on that I want to reflect on these two passages 
more things, but I only want to pick four because of time. The first one, I believe, we can call it the, some of the qualities of a disciple, qualities of a leader that we all need to possess in some sense. The first one is submission. Submission. We are not known to be a very good people to learn to submit, especially in our culture where it is very egalitarian. Um, and certainly, submission is not a particularly good virtue of a leader in some sense. Uh, the leader is the person in charge and he expects other people to submit to him. Uh, but a true leader or true disciple doesn't just demand submission. He is an example of submission by the way he submits to the Lord and to those in authority over him. Let me give you this one lesson that Jesus taught Peter about submission. And then look at how Peter later on passed it on to those. In uh, Matthew 17, there's a story there about Jesus and the temple text. You, you're familiar with the story? Jesus and the disciple arrived this place in Capernaum. And then the tax collectors, one of them came to them and said, Did your master and you pay tax to the temple? Because uh, the Jewish people paid two drachma coin once a year to the temple for the maintenance of the temple. So they asked Peter, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Peter said, yes, he does. And so when Peter got into the house, Peter and Jesus knew what was happening. And Jesus asked Peter, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And then Peter said, from others. Then that means to say children are exempt. Am I right to say that? Peter said, yes. What Jesus was saying is that temple is who belongs to who belongs to God. Who am I? I'm a son of, I'm a God in, incarnate in the person of, of God. Do I need to pay tax when the temple belongs to me? It's, it's about me. Do I need to pay tax? We don't have to. That was the context. But Jesus says in verse 27, But so that we may not offend them, you go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, Open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Jesus is saying, I don't need to pay tax. I'm God. I'm the temple. What for? But so that, you know, we don't offend them, we do it. Christ was the Lord and the owner of the temple. He and his children should have been free of taxation. But yet Jesus orders Peter to pay it anyway for both of them to avoid a bitter and offensive debate on the merits of his claim. You know, sometimes we have to pick our battle. Many husband and wife, they don't know how to pick their battle. They download they don't know how to conserve their emotional energy and fight on the right battle. Many people are like that too, even in church. We want to fight on everything that is not necessary. We need to conserve our emotional energy and fight the right thing. And Jesus was that. And Jesus taught Peter a lesson 
of learning how to submit. And later on in his life, Peter wrote this to the people. He says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Submission. Because I, I believe that you cannot submit to God if you never submit to human authority. You, you can't. Whether it's your parents or whatever authority that's placed above you, if we do not know how to submit to authority, physical authority, there is no way that we can submit to the authority of God. Submission is the willingness to give up our rights to ourselves to freely surrender our insistence on having our own way all the time. And throughout Scripture, Paul also taught us about that in 1 Corinthians 9. I did not use this right, but I have not used any of those rights. And, and so not to make use of my rights in preaching it. He often learned to sacrifice is his right. You know, everyday fascinating and physically gratifying possibilities will open before you and these things are yours by right. But if you are living the life of faith, you will joyfully sometimes waive your rights and let God make your choice for you. And this is the discipline God uses to transform the natural to the spiritual through obedience to His voice. And whenever our rights become the guiding factor of our lives, it dulls our spiritual insight. And instead of settling for the best, we have allowed our natural senses in the name of our rights to settle just for the good. As Voltaire, the French writer, says, isn't it? The good is always the enemy of the best. So based on your right, you might just get the good, but if you give out your rights for God to make the decision for you, you might get the best. And many of us do not grow spiritually because we prefer to choose on the basis of our rights instead of relying on God to make the choice for us. Maybe that's the rule of the kingdom of God. Give us something good and receive something greater. Give up your rights and you will receive greater privileges with God, a better way forward, uh, which is Christ. Uh, this is what Chris Cruz says. Death to self isn't to be confused with the death of self. Jesus does not condone self-hatred. If anything, Jesus elevates our world beyond what we could ever claim or measure. It's letting go of a lesser life in order to let your new life in Christ to emerge. So the first lesson about Peter, he learned submission. That he was able to see what Jesus taught him and he passed it on to the people. Maybe learning to submission is the one thing we need to learn so that when we learn to submit to God, we will get the best 
from God. The second thing is restraint. The second lesson that we can learn from Peter about his life is restraint. And of course, the story from the picture itself is in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas came in with the soldiers to arrest Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Drew up a, a knife and a sword and cut off Malchus' ear. And what did Jesus, what did Jesus say to Peter? Put back your knife. Put your sword back. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Again, submission, isn't it? Restraint. He learned restraint. And of course, he made this great mistake and then he, uh, later on, he regrets. And you look at Peter. What did Peter say to the people later on in his life? He said, To this you were caught because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. I hope you remember this sentence. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Remember, God always judges justly. You can trust him. He's a sovereign judge overall. There are many, many people in the world has no justice. But God is our ultimate judge. Maybe not now. It will be in the future. How different that is from the young man who tried to grab a sword and whack his way through his opposer. Peter had learned the lesson of restraint. And in life, we need to learn how to restrain too. Many times we make a lot of mistakes because we act on our impulse, our emotion, without taking a step back and think through first. Let me show you these two figures. Oh, I thought I have it in myself. The old slide. I actually have a two pictures here about a guy called a South African, um, South African Indian Muslim apologist. Dead already. His name was Ahmad Didat. Who heard of him before? Ahmad Didat. He used to uh, debate with George McDowell, who uh, was a Christian apologist in the early days, in the 80s. In 1985, Ahmad Didat was invited to Malaysia in the top university in Malaysia called University of Malaya. And he was asked to teach or speak on a topic called Muhammad in the Bible in 1985. And in his lecture there, in 1985, he said that he had not found a single Christian willing to obey Jesus' command in the gospel to turn the other cheek. He said, in my life, I've never seen anyone do that. And then there is a professor in the university called Dr. Living Lee, a geologist. After the talk, during the question and answer time, he asked Ahmad Didat to strike him on his cheek. 
Did that instead refer to Matthew 5 40? If anyone wants to want to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Did that Ahmad did that ask for Dr. Living Lee's shirt? And he took off his shirt and gave to, to uh, Ahmad Didat. Then Didat asked for his pants. And Dr. Living Lee bowed his head, apologized to his audience. He took off his pants and gave to Ahmad Didat in front of 400 people, including his students and colleagues. The professor managed to obtain someone's jacket to cover himself and to explain to the audience that he complied with Ahmad Didat's request in order to demonstrate that his faith in Jesus was true. And Lee mentioned later on, many of the, of course, the chairman returned his clothes to him and then the Muslim approached him. Many Muslims later on came to express regret about the way and they apologized. All his colleagues, his students, they were, they were so sorry. And, and, and embarrassed the way Ahmad Didat had treated Dr. Living Lee. Someone who practiced restraint. And as a result, the gospel message shined true in that Muslim country, in that university, to 400 people in the crowd um, in 1985. Restrain. Peter learned that, and we are too as well. Number three, I think uh, Peter learned humility. The picture speaks a thousand words, isn't it? The way to conquer pride is always by being humble, and most of the time, uh, we don't learn until emotionally we uh, go, go through the situation, then we learn the lesson, isn't it? We can observe in Peter that he was a man with tremendous amount of self-confidence. It is obvious by the way he jumps in with answers to all the questions. It is obvious in most of his actions, such as he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water. He became obvious in the worst and most disastrous way on that fateful occasion when Jesus foretold that his disciples would forsake him. And what did, Jesus, what did Peter say? Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. He said to the, all of them. And Peter again, a very self-confident man, he said, even if all fall away on account of you, even the rest of the eleven, I never will. And then later on, Jesus repeated again, said, truly I tell you, Directly to Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And what did, you, what did Peter say? Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He's a spokesperson. And all the other disciples said the same. Yeah, 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 we won, we won we will die with you. And who were all the only disciples that were under the cross of Jesus Christ? Which disciple? John. Only John. Only John. Peter arrogantly insisted that he would never stumble. 
And yet, despite his protest, before the night was over, he didn't deny Jesus. And his whole world was severely shaken. His ego was deflated. His self-confidence was annihilated. His pride suffered greatly. But thankfully, his faith never failed. And later years in his life, he learned this tremendous lesson of humility. And he said this to the people. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Humility became one of the virtues that characterized Peter's life, his message and his leadership style. In 1 Peter 4.8, he went on to say, Above all, love each other deeply or fervently or earnestly because love covers over a multitude of sin. He's reflecting on his own lives, isn't it? That because Jesus restored him, Jesus loves him, he was restored. He said, why? Because love covers over multitudes of sin. The word uh, deeply or fervently or earnestly in the original word described the muscle of an athletic straining to win a race. It means stretch to the limit. Peter was urging us to love to the maximum of our capacity. In our world where we live, where superficial connections often overshadow genuine relationships, the call to love deeply stands as a countercultural challenge. It defiles the norms of conditional acceptance and superficial relationship, replacing them with a grace-filled love. This world calls for requires sacrifice because love covers over multitudes of sin. And that's the way to cultivate a forgiving spirit. And later on, Paul con uh, Peter continued by understanding this whole area of humility, of self-confidence, that he thinks he won't fall away. He said, be self-controlled, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Peter understood human weakness. And he understood it well. He had been to the bottom. His own weaknesses had been thrown in his face. But he had been perfected, established, strengthened and settled by the Lord. I have a friend living in a country. Whenever I drive to Sydney, I will stop by and spend time with the family for uh, two nights. And during my last visit in January, uh, they started opening up and share something that went through their life over many years. When I met him in Bible college, he's, uh, he's much older. He's in his 70s now. 
I always bring him for Chinese food. Every time after exam, we we'll go yum cha together. And uh, he loves Chinese food. Every time I drive up to Sydney on my way, I'll buy him lots of yum cha to store in his fridge for a week. And, uh, and he shared with me, he's a very confident man. He's a builder. He knows what to do. His life is by action. If there's something that's not right, he will go out there and fix it. No problem. He established a church and they all go through that. But something happened to him. His uh, son and the daughter-in-law completely abandoned them and walked away. Some conflict, they walked away. And he did everything he could. He tried to reconcile, he apologized, he write, he called, everything. Nothing works. And now he is a different person because he said, um, I'm a go man, you know, I'm going to fix things up, but there are things in life I cannot fix. And he became such a gentle, godly man now. They talked to him, it was a gem. And sometimes life is like that. And we need to humble ourselves, sometimes through life training and not just through lectures or whatever that may be. And the God of... Uh, the last one I want to touch on is courage. Courage, something we can learn from Peter, courage. And in John 21, uh, after Jesus resurrected, restored Peter, this is what he said. He said, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Not just only as some of us always we experience that, we know that. Uh, but of course, Jesus is not just referring to the physical aspect, it's just an analogy. And John wrote this 30 years after Peter died, said this. He added in his commentary. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. The way the description of being dressed and led with outstretched hands is a poetic foreshadowing of Peter's own death in the future. The price of preaching will be death for Peter. Persecution, oppression, trouble, torture, ultimately martyrdom. Peter would need rock-solid courage to persevere. And after Pentecost, Peter was transformed his whole life. Now after spending three years with Peter, uh, with Jesus, his life was completely transformed. No more coward. Look at Acts chapter 4. When he preached the gospel, then he, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach or at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And then later on, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And later on, in chapter 5 again, he said again, we must obey God rather than man. You know, he, he was a transformer. He became a very courageous man. No more a coward. Now he is a very courageous man. And just now, when Imjai showed us the clip about uh, uh, Shamshad in Pakistan, I know Shamshad for, for many years now. And to me, he's a courageous man. 
He's a courageous man. He, he fears no one. He just takes the Bible. He goes to the street. He preaches the gospel. He goes to the train station, the bus stop. Bus stop, you just hop up and preach the gospel and distribute tracts in front of all the Muslims. He's a fearless man, man in action. And we are glad that we are supporting him. And last verse, last text then. Let me read to you about Peter's teaching, for learning about courage and then now passing on. He said, praise be to the God, or, why, or rather why he was courageous. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It is in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He was secure in Christ and he knew it. He has seen the risen Christ, so he knew Christ had conquered death. He knew that whatever earthly trials came his way, they were merely temporary. Courageous man. The trials, though painful and always distasteful, were nothing compared to the hope of eternal glory. That hope is what gave Peter such courage. Peter learned submission, restraint, humility and courage from the Lord's end. Example. You know how he died? According to the early sources by, uh, by Clement, who says that before Peter was crucified, uh, I may not have that. Before Peter was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. And as he watched her being led to her death, Clement says, Peter called to her, her by name, saying to her, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And when it was Peter's turn to die, he pleaded to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die as his Lord had died. And thus he was nailed to a cross head downwards. Such is the life of Peter. May we continue to be taught by him in courage and restraint and humility. Father, we just want to pray that you will continue to stir our hearts to live as your disciple of Jesus Christ courageously with great humility, knowing how to restrain, trusting the God who will always judge justly and learning to submit to the authority of Christ. Thank you, Lord.